Well, we're entering a new portion of the book of Samuel this morning. Last week at the end of chapter 7, we read a summary of Samuel's ministry. And many years uh, pass between the end of chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8. In this new portion, uh, Israel is moving uh, from the form of government they had under uh, the judges, where they were a loosely connected uh, a confederation of tribes that often active uh, in uh, fighting their battles and actually fought against each other probably as much as they uh, managed to fight uh, uh, those that were hostile to them, uh, to a king. They're moving from the period of the judges to Israel having a king. So if you would, would you stand? For the reading of God's word, let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for the gift of these words and that we have them uh, in uh, the form of the written scriptures. Make them alive uh, to us and allow us to see Jesus this morning. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. When Samuel became old, he made his son judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second Abiah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, Behold, you are old, And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. According to all the deeds they have done, from the day I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, forsaking me and serving other gods. So they are also doing to you. Now then, obey their voice, only you shall solemnly warn them and show them the ways of the king who shall reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking for a king from him. And he said, these will be the ways of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them to his chariots and to be his horsemen and to run before his chariots. And he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and some to plow his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his implements of war and the equipment of his chariots. And he will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers And he will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive orchards and give them to his servants. And he will take the tenth of your grain and of your vineyards and give it to his officers and to his servants. And he will take your male servants and female servants and the best of your young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. And he will take the tenth of your flocks and you shall be his slaves. And in that day you will cry out to Because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, 
No, but there shall be a king over us, that we may also be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And when Samuel had heard all the words of the people, he repeated them in the ears of the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey their voice and make them a king. And Samuel then said to the men of Israel, Go every man to his city. You may take your seats. Well, who are you when no one is looking? Do people drive differently when a police officer is right behind them? Well, of course they do. Do people correct their children in the checkout line differently than they do at home? Well, you can bet on it. Do people fill out their tax form uh, differently when to claim a dependent, you have to put their social security number next to their name? Well, yes, they do. When the law changed, one-tenth of all the dependents who had been claimed on tax forms uh, the next year no longer existed. They simply disappeared. Why? Well, because people don't like to be exposed. Now, being exposed comes in all kinds of shapes and sizes. There's mild embarrassment to unavoidable humiliation. Now, when our uh, older daughter was in the first grade, she developed an itchy scalp. And we looked closely at her scalp and through her hair, and we just could not figure out what was going on. I wondered if she'd picked up a parasite. And so I went to the drugstore to ask the pharmacist, who just happened to be the wife of uh, one of the most prominent pastors in the town we were living. And uh, when I caught her eye, she said, may I help you? And I said, I sure hope so. Can a human have fleas? And, and she kind of fought back a smile, and in a sweet southern voice, she said, no, but you might get lice. And I thought to myself, lice never entered my mind. Nancy and I have never uh, had lice, seen lice, even heard about people having uh, lice. And then graciously, she explained uh, what uh, I needed to do, uh, and she handed me a, a knit comb, some of the nastiest shampoo that's ever been made <laughs> with an extensive list of instructions about what needed to be washed and how all my daughter's stuffed animals needed to be put in a bag and quarantined uh, for a week. And then I'm certain that she rolled on the floor dying with laughter about that Yankee who had come in the store who thought his kid had fleas. Now, it was mildly embarrassing. You know, my ignorance being exposed like that, was, it was a little humiliating. But when someone sees me impatient or unkind with Nancy, the dearest person in my life, when they see the real me, there's just simply no place to hide. I'm exposed. Now, the Bible exposes us to both what can be known about God, but it also exposes us to who we are. The writer of the book of Hebrews puts it this way, for the word of God is living and active, 
sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, now I suppose that being exposed, in the way the writer of the Hebrews describes it, is one of the reasons people stop reading their Bible or listening to sermons or coming to church. The scriptures expose our profound need of a Savior as they announce God's commands and show us by example that we don't actually measure up. And this is true of our text It's like a woman's vanity mirror. Magnifies and it's just surrounded with bright uh, lights. And so Israel's desire for a king is exposed. It's exposed as in a way that's a warning to us. Israel uh, prefers substitutes to a radical trust in God. Israel doesn't want to be different for God. And Israel is stubbornly resistant to wisdom outside of herself. So when Israel asks for a king, uh, we immediately get to see that she prefers God's substitutes to radical trust. Israel's facing a problem here. Samuel's getting old and the nation needs a leader. And Samuel's solution was to appoint his uh, sons. He wanted them to be his successors. And even though they had names that spoke of a relationship with God, Joel means uh, the Lord uh, is God, and Abiyah means my father is the Lord, uh, they were not men of integrity the way Samuel had been. Uh, They were using their office to enrich themselves. They took bribes, and that resulted in a distortion of justice. The character of his sons uh, was common knowledge in Israel. The public had a right to protest, and the elders had a problem. And history's repeating itself. Samuel's sons, like Eli's sons, are uh, corrupt men. And one of the takeaways from this is that even godly people uh, can have wicked and evil children. Now, the elders have a different solution in mind. They ask for a king. Now, appoint for us a king to judge all the nations. Now, there's nothing wrong with them being a king. In fact, kingship was in God's long-term plan for his people. God had told Abraham that kings uh, would come from his descendants. Uh, Jacob predicts a king would arise from the tribe of Judah, The prophet Balaam uh, prophesies about Israel's king. The book of Deuteronomy has instructions for Israel's uh, king. And we saw uh, that Hannah and her son, the coming of a king to Israel. It was God's intention to give Israel a human king. The problem here with their request is its motives. And and there are two problems. The the first is this. It's stated this way. They want to be like the other nations. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. And the second uh, problem is seen uh, right afterwards. 
Samuel hears this request and he takes it very personally. They are just rejecting me. Everything I've done for them, it doesn't matter to them. They are just want to toss me out as if nothing I had done uh, was an act of service for them. And uh, God says, you've got this wrong, Samuel. It's not you they're rejecting. It is me. And to underline this, the text tells us that God was Israel's king. Now, Israel doesn't want the arrangement that God had established for their governance and leadership. They didn't want to live under the covenant given through Moses. They didn't want to depend on their invisible king to fight for them. And they didn't want to prayerfully rest on his direction in matters of foreign policy and political alliances. And the Lord says they are acting in the same way they'd acted from the very beginning of his relationship with them as he brought them out of Egypt, forsaking him for idols, preferring God's substitutes to the Lord who would redeem them out of Egypt. Now, I just need to pause for just a moment to fully appreciate what's happening here. Um, because the book of Samuel has to be read against the book of Deuteronomy. In particular, it needs to be read against the instructions given for Israel's king. In Deuteronomy 17, God says that their king should not be a foreigner, not acquire a lot of horses. He wasn't to have a harem. He wasn't to amass great wealth. And he was to make for himself a copy of God's law. He was to write it out by hand and to read from it all the days of his life. He was to be a king who ruled under God's kingship as he observed God's instructions in uh, the law. And um, this was something that we could say describes a king after God's own heart. That's the kind of king God wanted for his people. A king who was after his own heart, who wanted to live in submission to him and to walk in his ways. And of course, very few of Israel's kings were like that. And David was the best of the lot. And almost all the others are compared uh, to David, and very few of them uh, come close. So Israel's not asking for the kind of king that God intended to give them. Uh, They want what the nations around them have. They want to put their trust in a king and not in God. Now, this is a good place to stop and just reflect a little bit on what's happening here. Israel faces a problem, and their solution turns out to be not just a bad solution, but idolatrous. Their solution turns out to be idolatrous. So Israel uh, doesn't turn to God in prayer and ask God to raise up another judge like he had done in raising up Samuel. They want a completely new form of government. You see, they don't see the problem as fundamentally a spiritual one. They see it as one of political organization. They're looking not up, but they're looking around uh, at the earthly level. And uh, 
having a human king would mean they wouldn't have to trust in God when they faced a, a, a foreign nation in war. They could turn to their king. And the second thing to notice about this, instead of seeking God's direction through the prophet Samuel, they want to tell God what form the solution needs to take. Now just think about that for a moment. Have you ever done that in your thoughts and prayers? When you're facing a problem, tell God what he should do. You have a preferred solution and you go ahead and let him know. You might form it in terms of request. Please do this, this, and this, right? Um, instead of just throwing yourselves on God and just saying, God, I, I, here I have this problem. Please uh, come to the rescue. Come uh, help. Israel's request was completely rational. Undoubtedly, like the plans that we form in our minds, uh, which we uh, offer up as, as prayers or strong suggestions to God. And yet the Lord says it was a rejection of his kingship. Now, surprisingly and repeatedly in this passage, God says to Samuel, give them what they ask for. And the king they will get is Saul, who is Central Casting's idea of an ideal king. He just looks the part. And, um, and it will be very clear actually it emerges right at the very beginning, that he is not a man after God's own heart. Now, note well the lesson here. If God grants you your preferred solution, it's not always a sign of his favor. It can be a sign of our obstinacy. Sometimes God's greatest kindness is not to give you what you ask. Let me say that again. Sometimes God's greatest kindness is not to give you what you ask. And our proposals, our solutions and prayers on the horizontal that just seem completely reasonable to us. Uh, just clear, logical, obvious, can be at the same time utterly godless. Now, James Willett's a Reformed theologian who uh, writes about the role the church has in shaping people to be Christ-like. Uh, the word he uses for that is spiritual formation. And, and he says this, Our soul thirst is powerful. It makes all of us idolaters. To be sure, uh, all of my contemporaries don't bow before actual pagan altars. Nevertheless, the Bible sees idolatry as a universal problem. To be alive is to be an idolater. And so one of the most basic questions in spiritual formation must be, what am I doing with my idols? Not, do I have any idols? What am I doing with my idols? Not, do I have any idols? And we would uh, do well to be vigilant about the presence of idols, especially when we face problems and how they shape what we expect or want or ask for from God. So Israel's exposed, and perhaps we are as uh, well, by their not wanting to be different for God. 
Uh, God says to Samuel, just do what they say, but then warn them about the way of the king. And Israel's thinking, you know what? With a king, we'll fit in. We'll belong uh, to the family of nations here in Canaan. Um, we'll be a modern nation like them. After all, we live in the Iron Age, and uh, we need to have a form of government appropriate to the times we live in. And then Samuel describes the ordinary behavior of kings. Maybe you heard, heard the word that got repeated. He will take, he will take, he will take, he will take. The list begins with some valuable resources, and it sounds like people are being assigned to some prestigious roles. But as it goes on down, it becomes increasingly costly. And it ends with this note, slavery. Uh, kings, on the whole, take far more than they give. It's just the nature of royalty is parasitic on a nation. And then God says, when you can't stand it and you cry out to me, I'm going to turn a deaf ear to you. Now, Israel was to be different. The whole point of Israel was to be different. The very way that God raised them up as a nation in the beginning through Abraham, to the way he delivered them out of Egypt, to the way that he led them through the wilderness with the pillar of fire and the cloud, the way he brought them in to the land. They were to be a holy nation. They were to belong to God in a special relationship. I will be your God and you will be my people. And often in the book of Leviticus, uh, they are told to be holy as I am holy. And we naturally think of that word holy in the sense of being morally pure. And, and that's right. But it has a more fundamental and basic sense, which is simply to be distinct, to be set apart to be unlike. Israel was to be unlike the other people around them. And um, they were a special people in a special relationship with a special mission. They were uh, to be God's mission people who would bring the blessing of Abraham to the nations. They were to be a light to the nations. And in the way that their lives were ordered, in the way their society was ordered, in the justice and the righteousness that was exhibited, they were to draw the nations uh, uh, to hear about the living God, the creator of heaven and earth. But instead, their behavior is governed by what other people do, Instead of being different and distinct and holy, they want to be the same. They want to conform. They want to fit in. And they were supposed to be the light of the nations, but instead of the nations learning from them, they are imitating the nations around them. And we too are called to a, be distinctive people. We have a missional identity as a people. Peter says, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Are we wanting to be ruled by God and his word? Are we wanting to be different and distinct 
and holy. We're like them. We're supposed to be a light to the nations, giving praise to God before all people, calling them into a relationship with him. Israel uh, didn't want to be that. Are we that? Now, there are two ways you can not want to be something. You can, on the one way, you can choose not to be that by conforming to something different. And that's what Israel is doing here. But there's another way. You can conform or you can become a chameleon. You can, you can just hide your distinctiveness. You can just blend in. You, you, you can sort of think, I'm being different, but I, you know, I don't want people to notice that I'm different. And this plays out in, in uh, the mission of the church. You can uh, blend in by avoiding both sides of the mission given to the church. So the church is to be attractional. It's to be a light to the world. Uh, Our lives should exhibit the glory of the gospel of grace. Uh, Our lives should be characterized by such love and and kindness. There should just be this wonderful fragrance about our lives that people are drawn to. They wonder, you know, what makes these people this way? Why are they joyful? How can they be in the midst of suffering and thankful like that? Um, and we can think that we're doing that by just opening up the doors and coming to church, and that's a part of it. But there's another part of our missional calling, and that is is that we are to go and make disciples. And see, to do that today is to really stand out. It is to really stand out. And it is is to, well, it probably means people are going to misunderstand you and some people will become very offended with you. And there are some people that God's prepared who he will use you in their lives to plant seeds of the gospel or even to reap. Uh, but to, you see, it's, it's, it's one thing to conform. And we might want to think about all the ways we're not conforming to the world. But it's another to blend in by becoming a chameleon. Last of all, we see that Israel is stubbornly resistant to wisdom uh, outside of them. So in verses 19 and 20, Samuel paints this very grim picture, and um, the elders have tunnel vision. Their minds are made up, you know, forced labor, uh, compulsory military service, heavy taxes, and finally tyranny. Well, they're willing to pay all those prices to have a king. A king is so important to them that no price is too high to be paid. And God gives them what they pray for. Uh, God will not mitigate, he will not reduce the consequences of their choice of Saul. Saul will fit the bill exactly. Um, And as one of my mentors said to me once, be careful what you pray for, God just might give it to you. So the elders, Israel's elders, are immune to advice. And here's what we need to ask. Could we be immune to advice? Will we take counsel? Now, as a pastor, and probably every pastor will tell you, if they've been a pastor very long, is that people come and ask for advice. And uh, I've learned there are only two kinds of people who ask for advice. Those who sincerely want advice, who will listen to advice and eat it, and those who say they want advice, but what they really want is somebody who will uh, affirm what they're already thinking. 
Someone who will just agree uh, with them. Israel was utterly unteachable, and so God enrolls them once again in the school of hard knocks. And so this story instructs us to cry out for a soft heart and a teachable mind and, and the humility that's willing to receive wisdom from outside ourselves. Israel demands a king. She wants a king like the nations around her. Uh, she, uh, though she's warned about what this king will be like, she insists. But God will grant to Israel a king after his own heart in David. And David foreshadows the coming of the king who we call Jesus. A king who doesn't take, a king who does not oppress, who gives life and joy and purpose and grace and new beginnings, along with suffering and tribulations. Jesus gave up his life for his subjects. He did not come to be served. He set up no palace. He levied no taxes. Uh, He insisted on none of the perks that come with being royalty. No, he was a king unlike any earthly uh, king. He washed the feet of his subjects. He healed the sick by bearing their wounds. He restored the lame by having his legs broken. He delivered us from sin and death by dying in our place. He is a king like no other. A king after God's heart. Will you have him rule over you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we invite you into our lives to reign over us as our king. We submit to you. We ask for grace to follow you. We ask, O Lord, that we might...